Let's start out by saving a whole lot of time. Can I get you to acknowledge, to go along with the premise that the Bible says we should rejoice? Can, can we just accept that, acknowledge that, and not have to establish it? Now, I could. I could spend a lot of time because there's 257 times in the Bible that we're told to rejoice. But if we can just accept that and agree on it, then I can leave all of that out. We don't have to read all of those or spend time proving that Christians ought to rejoice. In all kinds of situations, the Bible talks about. Let me just read you a couple of those 257 so you see the magnitude of it. Deuteronomy 12:7 says, You shall rejoice in all which the Lord your God has blessed you. Well, we just sang one of the songs we sang. There was a phrase in it I hadn't noticed before I wrote it down. It said, every blessing you pour out, I turn back in praise. Well, I don't think we do that, but we've sung that we do that. But that's what Deuteronomy 12:7 says to do. Rejoice in all which the Lord has blessed you. Psalm 25, rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 33, 1, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous for praise from the upright is beautiful. And the most famous one, perhaps, Philippians 4, 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, that's the verse that led me to this sermon. Uh, I was going to do something else today and kind of our break between now and Father's Day and all that. But Wednesday night, like Jesse said, I was here and heard the teen uh, work camp Devo time and all that. And Brother Mitch Wilburn from Tulsa was preaching, and he talked about Paul and the condition that Paul was in. Uh, of course, most of it was supposition. It was uh, uh, some people's opinion about how bad off Paul would have been after the life that he lived. And all the beatings that he took and the shipwrecks and the, the walking and everything that he had to go through, uh, it was a horrible condition. He was in sad shape, probably. But he's the one that wrote Philippians 4, 4 and said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I sat there and I thought about that, and I'm not sure what he said after that, because I was all thinking about if Paul said that, God's serious about this. If Paul said to rejoice in the Lord always, told the people in Philippi to do that in the condition that he was in and in the conditions that they were in, told them to rejoice always, God is serious about this. So that's why I entitled this sermon, uh, what I did, now on your handout, there's a comma missing. The title is not seriously rejoice, the comma is, the title is seriously rejoice. I've talked all my life about rejoicing. I mean, I know the Bible says that. I didn't know it was 257 times, but I know we're supposed to rejoice. But when I heard that illustration about Paul being the one to say rejoice in the shape he was in, I got serious about this. So I began to think about that and read a little bit more uh, the rest of this week. And I came up with another word that might help us understand how serious God is about this. 
I'd read about this little word before. It's hardly ever used in the Bible. It's tharseo. T-H-A-R-S-E-O is the Greek word. And depending on your translation, you might have it say, take comfort, uh, take courage, be of good courage, something like that. But literally, what that little word means is cheer up. Cheer up. And Jesus is the only one that used this. He used it on six occasions. There's actually eight places in the Bible with it, but two of them are duplication, different accounts, different gospels. And if you look through when he said it, it's an amazing thing. Who do you tell to cheer up? Well, Jesus in Matthew 9 2 told a paralyzed guy, cheer up. Guy laying there can't move. Jesus says, cheer up. And he went on, he said, I'll forgive your sins. The crowd went wild. Pharisees, everybody went crazy. This guy is blaspheming. He can't forgive sins. And Jesus said, well, which is easier? Say your sins are forgiven or, or get up and walk. So I'll do that too. You, you can get up and walk too. But he told him, cheer up before he did all that. He knew what was coming, I suppose, but the paralyzed guy didn't. Matthew 9.22, the woman in the crowd that got close enough to touch Jesus because she had been going to doctors for 12 years and they had not solved her bleeding issue. So she sought out Jesus and touched him. When she, Jesus turned around and saw her, he said, woman, cheer up. Just cheer up. Of course, she was healed from the touch and all of that. Matthew fourteen twenty seven. the apostles were out in the boats in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, and Jesus came walking across the water, and they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, oh, hold it. Said, Don't be, cheer up. Cheer up. Mark 10 and 49, a blind man. Jesus walked up to him and said, hey, you, cheer up. Or maybe he touched him and said, hey, you, cheer up. Had to get his attention somehow, but he told him to cheer up. John sixteen thirty three. the apostles at the Last Supper, after Jesus told them, I'm leaving earth, you're going to be persecuted. When he got done with that, he said, cheer up. It's going to be all right. Acts twenty three eleven. Paul had gone before the Sanhedrin. He had given them a speech that made them so mad that they wanted to tear him to pieces. And the guy in charge of guarding him was scared to death. Paul was going to get killed. And he had to slip him out as fast as he could. And he got him back to jail. And when he got him out of there, just barely saving his life, Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, cheer up. I know you just escaped with your life, but you get to go to Rome now. Cheer up. See, all of those seem kind of weird to me. All six of them seem like places where I'm not sure I'd tell somebody to cheer up. But Jesus did. And Paul said, seriously, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I think we ought to be more do more rejoicing. Be more joyful people. 
I know the Bible says we should, but I think we ought to be more serious about it. I think Christians ought to be happy, joy, rejoicing people. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to jump around and be bubbly and all that all the time, because everybody's got different personalities. But your character and your personality and everything ought to come. People ought to see that you are a joyful person, that you rejoice about your condition. That you rejoice about being a Christian. Why does God tell Why is he so serious about rejoicing? Well, why does God tell us anything? We've been running into that as we go through the series that we've been doing over the past years. We went through the old, we went through the whole Bible one year. We go through the characters in the Old Testament. We go through uh, the Ten Commandments. Whatever series we go through, we keep finding out that God tells us things for our own good. Either, Either it's good for us, or usually it's good for the kingdom too, or usually it's good for the world too. That's why he tells us things. That's why he gives us commands. He doesn't tell us, thou shalt not, because he wants to spoil our fun. He tells us that because that's the best for us. So if you just think through those things, it's good for us, it's good for the kingdom, it's good for the world. Why does he tell us to rejoice? To be a joyful people? Well, for us, uh, let me just ask. Let's see, I think Elaine's here today. Elaine does a lot of counseling around here. This is just kind of off the top of my head, Elaine, but who does better in life? People that are rejoicing and happy or people that are gloomy and doomy? Can anybody else answer that? See, that's not tricky, is it? So God tells us to rejoice. Jesus says, cheer up. It's good for us. You'll have a lot more friends (laughs) at the very least. Life will be better. That's why he tells us that. Be better for the kingdom. Let me ask the elders about this one. Elders, does church work better? Is it more fun to lead people who are rejoicing and and happy and joyful or the gloomy, doomy kind? Some of you guys aren't elders and you figured that one out. Okay, it's good for the kingdom if we rejoice and be that kind of person. How about for the world? I mean, God said to be salt and light. Something about Christians ought to affect the world. So let me ask, any visiting pagans here? Let me ask you, what would attract you more to Christ? If his people were rejoicing and cheerful and positive and thankful, or if they were negative and critical and condemning, which would attract you more to the kingdom of God? We can all figure that out, can't we? So when God is serious about rejoicing, there's some good reason. It's good for us. It's good for the kingdom. It's good for the world. We need to be seriously thinking about being more rejoicing. Let me give you some tips. Psalm 100 was read for you. Let's turn over there and read Psalm 100. 
Just a few short verses, but it gives you a few tips for being a rejoicing kind of person. First one, verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. Some translations, I think the one James used, said make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But this isn't about singing. Singing comes later. We'll get to singing. Verse 1 is about shouting. Verse 1 is about making a loud noise, if you will. That's what the word means. It's the exact same word, the walls of Jericho loud. Okay? When the people all marched around, blew trumpets, they were supposed to shout to the Lord. That's a fairly loud shout. It knocked the walls down. <laughs> but, but that's the word that's used here. Shout for the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, let me clear this up. It doesn't say here. <laughs> it doesn't say to shout as loud as you can right here. You know, God is a God of order and not confusion, and, and we know all that. But the places that it says shout are usually a victory in battle or something like that. But, but this one's kind of a general psalm of praise, and it says shout for the Lord. Now, this worship is not the area for it, but <clears throat> try it sometime. Not here when you're alone. Just obey Psalm 101. Just make a loud noise to praise the Lord. Shout to the Lord. Do it in the shower. Do it in your car. Some of you are laughing. Psalm 100 says to do it. Okay? It doesn't say to do it in church. It doesn't say to do it at lunch today when the restaurant's full all around you. Yeah, but it does say to do it. So I would suggest we try it. Shout at the top of your voice. Praise to the Lord. You sing if you want to. Sing as loud as you can. Some of you aren't buying this story. Seriously is what we're talking about. Verse 2. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with joy, some translations say. Boy, this is a good week to talk about that. We had a whole bunch of people serving the Lord with joy this week. The 200 kids or so that came and, and all the people around here that were uh, serving them and taking care of things. I saw some tired people. But I didn't see any negative whining people. I saw some folks that were serving with joy. They were happy about it. Now, they were happier on Tuesday than they were on Friday <laughs> because they were wearing out. Now, they really weren't any happier on Tuesday than Friday. They just were tired. But that's what he's talking about. Serve with joy. If you're going to do something, be joyful about it. So if you're not serving, that may be one of your problems. Try someplace to serve. Uh, second part of verse 2. Come before him with joyful songs. So sing with joy. You can do that lots of places. You don't have to wait till you get here for this one hour on Sunday. But certainly when we get here, we ought to do it. When we come to worship, we ought to sing with joy. Now, I know some of our songs, uh, 
evoke other emotions than joy and all that. Uh, and it's okay to cry or do whatever that emotion comes from. But when we sing joyful songs, we ought to sing with joy. Uh, seriously. We ought to think about that. Hey, I'm going to really work at this. I'm going to sing with more joy. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, sometimes we use that to start a worship service because we say we're coming into his gates. We're entering his courts. Well, no, we're coming to public assembly. Anytime we go to praise him, we're entering his courts. See, it used to be different. In the Old Testament, when you went to the temple, when you went to the tabernacle, depending on who you were, you could only get so far. If you were a Gentile, you could get into one court. If you were a woman, you could get into the next court. If you were a male Jew, you could get into the next court. If you were a priest, you could get into the next area. If you were the high priest, you could go right into the Holy of Holies once a year. Remember what happened on the day Jesus was crucified? God took that curtain and said, that's all over. That's all over. Now, any of my people can come to me. Any of my people can enter my courts. Any of my people can come before me. The psalmist says when we do that, whether you're praying in your closet or driving in your car with praise music on or whatever methods you use whenever you enter his courts, enter them with thanksgiving and with praise and rejoicing and be joyful. The psalmist gives us that advice. Now, let me just close by thinking through some. Why don't we do better at this? Why do I think there's a need to spend 30 minutes talking about seriously? We ought to rejoice. Why, why don't we rejoice more? Why, why don't we seem happier and more joyful? When people think about us, would joyful be the number one word they think about? Play the word association game. Describe so-and-so to me. He's a joyful guy. It's just like he's rejoicing all the time. Is that the first thing people would think about? Probably not for most of us. Why don't we do better? Now, I jotted down a few reasons that I, I think we don't do better. Maybe one of them will seem right to you. Number one, I think we forget, or I don't know if forget's the right word, maybe take for granted what Jesus did for us. I think we get so used to that, and we do kind of the standard routine, and we, we don't think about what really happened on the cross. Remember, we spent a whole series already this year, because this year our theme is Freedom in Christ. We talked about being freed from sin and what sin is and, and all of that to, to make that real. And I think it was when we talked about it, but maybe it slipped a little bit. Maybe we, we forget what he really did for us. I read a story about a mother during the desert storm war. Phone rang at Ruth Dillow's house. And she got the worst news that a mom can ever get. 
she got the news that her son Clayton had stepped on a landmine over in the Persian Gulf and that he had been killed. Uh, she grieved like any mother would for three days. Nobody could console her. And there were no words to say. And three days after she received that notification, the phone rang again in her house. She picked up the phone and the voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. Well, she thought it was a joke. She thought it was a cruel trick somebody was playing. But she continued to listen, and finally his voice cleared up enough from the emotion that she recognized his voice. It really was. Her son had been a mess up in the communications. Ruth Dillow said she, she went from being in the worst place in the world to a place of, of laughing and crying and rejoicing. What was hopeless had become wonderful. Uh, that's what a phone call from the graveyard can do. See, that's what we got. When we talked about sin and the condition we were in and all that, uh, remember, there wasn't any way out for us. There wasn't anything we could do about it. And then we got that phone call from the graveyard that he's alive. He took care of it for us. That should be as real as Ruth Dillow's phone call to us. If that was so real to us and it stayed in our mind like that, I don't know how bad your situation can be, but if you think about getting that call from the empty tomb, you ought to cheer up. I want to make you rejoice. Sometimes I think we don't think about that, but we, we forget how good we've got it. You know, we live in this nation and we have so many blessings and yeah, we complain about things and the way they're going and how horrible everything is, but of all the people in the world, of all the Christians that have ever lived, none have been blessed like us. There are so many hard places in the world, hard to be a Christian. And we forget about that. We think we've got it tough. Read the new Christian Chronicle, came out yesterday or the day before, and there was a story in it that caught my eye. In western Kenya, there's a woman named Mama Banya who's a widow. She's been a widow for 10 years. She's homeless because of the culture. Their culture in that tribe in western Kenya says that when a husband dies, the widow has to be cleansed before she can marry again. And the cleansing consists of having a man come from another village and having sex with her. And that will free her from her husband's spirit somehow. If not, she'll be haunted by her husband's spirit, and she won't be allowed to marry again. She won't be allowed to own property. She's an outcast. Well, Mama Banya refuses to go through the cleansing ritual. She says, I won't do that. So for 10 years, she suffered because of it. There's cultures like that in this world. The rest of the story is good, too. It's about serving with gladness. Uh, Church of Christ over in Oduwa, Kenya, found out about her and heard about her, and they collected money and went and built her a house. 
They stood up to that culture. They broke that cultural tradition in that village. Now she has her own home and she's accepted more. I think we forget how good we've got it. Sometimes I think we just don't look hard enough. We don't look for the unseen things. We see the the evident things, but we don't think that God said he'd use everything for good. One of the great stories that Corey Ten Boom told about her captivity during the Second World War is she and her sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst camp they had been in so far, Ravensbrook. And when they went in, they were just overwhelmed with how crowded it was. And the second thing they noticed was how it was completely overrun with fleas. Everywhere. That came Bible study time and prayer time for Betsy and Corey. And their scripture that day was First Thessalonians. And it talked about rejoicing always and praying constantly and giving thanks in all circumstances. So they went through their Bible study and came time to pray and Betsy said, all right, Corey, pray for every detail, for all circumstances. And Corey did as best she could, but she refused to be thankful for the fleas. And when she was done, Betsy said, no, Corey, you got to be thankful for everything. And she made her pray for the fleas. Give thanks for the fleas. She said as the weeks went on, they discovered that they could have Bible studies anytime they wanted. They could have prayer meetings, and the guards would never bother them. And finally, after a few months there, they realized that the guards wouldn't come in the barracks because of the fleas. We don't look for the unseen. We don't think about the little things that God can do with things that don't seem so good to us. Sometimes I think we don't try hard enough. See, I know rejoicing is a state of mind of Christians beyond our circumstances. I understand that. But sometimes circumstances make it really hard, don't they? Sometimes it's really hard to be joyful. And I know we understand that in our mind that we're joyful. It's, there's days that it's hard. For some people, it's hard every day. Many of you know who Joni Erickson Tade is, paralyzed and in a wheelchair for years and years and writes Christian songs, speaks at conferences and does an amazing ministry. But she wrote in one of her books about being at a women's conference one time and she was in the restroom with all these other women, and <clears throat> they started talking while they were putting their lipstick on and freshening their hair and all that. And they said, Joni, you are always just so joyful. You're just always so put together and so happy, and, and we just don't understand how you do that. You know, there you are in a wheelchair, and you're just so happy and, and confident and all that. How do you do that? And she, for some moment, that the reason at that moment felt like being honest with them and she said you want me to tell you how I really do it and they said yes she said well I don't do it 
I don't do it. She said, this morning was like every other day of my life. She said, my husband gets up and leaves for work at 6 o'clock. She said, then I'm alone until 7. And at 7, my friend comes to get me ready for the day. And I hear her come in the front door, and I hear her go to the kitchen to start making coffee. And I pray, oh, Lord. My friends are going to come in here and get me out of bed, give me a bath, get me dressed, set me up in my chair, brush my hair, brush my teeth, get me ready for the day. And I don't have the strength to face that routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to go into this day. But you do. So God, may I have your smile so that I can do it today. The women were just standing there with tears in their eyes. They said, "And, and then what happens? She said, well, when my friend comes into the room... I turn toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God's. Whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. Sometimes our rejoicing is hard won. We've got lots of reasons to rejoice and reasons to be joyful, but sometimes it's hard, and I think sometimes we just don't try hard enough. Last thing I thought of was sometimes we forget the magnitude of our freedom. Being freed from sin and freed from all the other things that we're going to talk about this year That's just bigger than we think it is sometimes. We kind of take it for granted. There's a song, it's called a gospel song called, That's When the Angels Rejoice. It's a little bit corny, but it goes through all the things that happen in this world, all the things that we think are big things. And it says after every core, every verse that, you know, the angels don't stand up for that. You know, the angels don't sing for that. That doesn't cause the angels to rejoice. It goes through the great inventions of history and the United States becoming a nation and and all the things that we think are so wonderful. And it says, "Ah, that that doesn't bother the angels. But here's a couple of parts of the chorus. There's only one thing that we're sure about that can make those angels jump and shout. It's when a sinner makes the Lord his choice, that's when the angels rejoice. But when one lost sinner comes back home, they jump for joy around the throne. I think they're serious about rejoicing. What causes them to rejoice is somebody claiming that freedom that we've talked about all year. For all of us, the message today was seriously, let's rejoice. And the message for someone here that's never obeyed the gospel, that knows they should, that just never has taken the time to do it, 
there's a host of people here that are waiting for that. And there's a heavenly host that's on the edge of their seats just waiting for you to respond to the Lord. If you need to do that today, come, let's do that. Let's stand and sing.